The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ben Palmer from Pitcher List, and I just want to thank you so much for joining us for our inaugural episode of Shag and Flies with Ben and Zach, one of the many, many new podcasts on the Pitcherless Podcast Network. And let me tell you, I am very excited for you all to hear our very first episode. We have an amazing guest. I couldn't ask for a better first guest. You know him, I would imagine, if you know Pitcherless. Alex Fast, one of our uh, writers, the VP of Pitcherless. Uh, great guy. A good friend of mine that I have known for God, probably four years now, five years almost. He is wonderful. We, uh, Zach and I had a great conversation with him about baseball, about his life in New York, his acting career, which I know some of you will probably be very interested in. Yes, we did talk about Triplix and many other great, wonderful films that Alex has graced the screen with. And uh, yeah, I just am really excited for you to hear this. So enough intro. Without further ado, here is mine and Zach's conversation with Alex Fast. Enjoy. I think Scott bought it. But uh, anyways, Alex, thank you. Yeah. I, I didn't get a chance to thank you. Thank you. Oh, my God. Being on the inaugural podcast, Shag and Flies, hmm. with Zach and Ben, which I have uh, recently learned. Not everybody knows what Shagging Flies is. Huh. Uh, <laughs> well, a lot of my friends, my wife included, who are not familiar with baseball, were like, Shagging Flies? what like an austin powers reference they think yeah. it is oh my or God. Something? i've gotten so many austin powers jokes ever since i mentioned the title of the podcast and i'm like no it's a thing you yeah. do in the outfield whatever forget it. <laughs> but thank you so much for being on the inaugural episode uh i think this is going to be a lot of fun we're just here to like chat hang out so the first thing i want to kind of dive into is a little bit about you and you, I've, I want to let you know, I've done a little bit of research and I'm very excited 
uh, to talk about a handful of things. But first thing, you, like me, are a native Marylander. Yeah. You're from Columbia, right? Uh, yeah, Columbia, Clarksville, born in Columbia, moved to Clarksville, yep. Okay, okay. Since, so before, first thing I want to preface with, since you are a Columbia native, sort of, What's your favorite dumb street name you've come across in Columbia? Oh, God. Um, yeah, I love Hobbit's Glen. Uh, so, it, uh, Zach, I don't know if you know this, but in Columbia, yeah. like a lot of the towns are named after like things in Lord of the Rings, um, like yeah. Hobbit's Glen being one of them. And I'm, I'm, my, my brain is, is elsewhere right now, so I can't remember some of the other names. But like th there's a bunch of weird names around uh based on lord of the rings for no reason whatsoever it's just, no reason. To be. Oh, well, it's uh, just one of those things where like that's the shtick of the yeah. town so yeah. columbia was like a planned town planned by mm -hmm. edward norton's i believe grandfather james yep. rouse uh yep. and it, it everything there is it is like as tim burton as it gets like <laughs> like the, the all of the lakes are fake like every lake is man-made um and just like, like everything about it is superficial yeah. um but yeah. with that said there is like it's just filled with ex-new yorkers or at least it was when i was a kid uh it was just like it was like literally every affluent family in brooklyn and queens was like you know what i'm gonna go there uh so yeah but i would say hobbit's glen is definitely the one that that's there is to me. columbia is also well known for having bizarre street names mm. so like one of my personal favorites was 40 winks way <laughs> that, that's the one i always think of when i think of dumb columbia street names. Like just, there's beaver they, kill road uh <laughs> what so part of just, the state is this in i'm, I'm it's, curious it's right I, between baltimore and dc it's like yeah, perfectly yeah. between them yeah, it's like right. My yeah, my mom worked in Columbia for. Ethics, oh, she did. So I, yeah, she worked at the uh, uh, applied physics lab of Johns Hopkins. Oh, I know exactly where that is. That's so funny. Yeah, she was like uh, one of the HR heads there. That's amazing. Like a long time. She worked there. She got her job as an intern there when she graduated college in like 1984 or whatever it was, and then worked from there till two years ago when she retired. It's it's a good thing that you got out that you didn't live there. Like it's like <laughs> Howard County. Columbia, yeah. yeah, Howard County is, is is an interesting place. I love Howard County, and I and I like I love going back, and I think it's a great place. But it's also like a, definitely a place devoid of culture. You know what I mean? It's like a place where you have to like <laughs> seek out culture a little bit because it's between Baltimore and DC. Like it was on the top ten list of of uh, wealthiest counties in America at one point. Um, yeah. because it's just a lot of like lawyers and doctors going to Johns Hopkins or going to wherever in Baltimore and DC. So it was an interesting place to grow up, but I, I enjoyed it. Wikipedia yeah. is telling me it gave the world, um, Alexis Ohanian, I guess. Okay. As there we well go. As, um, both, both Steve Lombardozzi's <laughs> and, um, uh, Oprah lived there for a while, so I, culture yeah. is everywhere. I don't know what you're talking about. Clearly. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. I will say that the the um, what's his name who uh, uh, wrote The Wire, David Simon, right? Oh, David mm. Simon. Yeah, he wrote that while living in in Columbia, which was which was good, or Clarksville yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, since you are a native Colombian, I'm curious. So you grew up in the area, and then you went to NYU for college what was it that drew you to nyu and why did you pursue a degree in theater 
Yeah, it's a great question. So I, um, I, when I was in first grade, uh, I told my parents that I wanted to go to NYU. Um, and while that seems like it is a cute, <laughs> uh, whimsical, fun story, my parents held that over me ever since I told them. You know what I mean? Like, because you're in third grade and you're not studying for grammar. And they're like, well, right. no third grader who doesn't study for grammar is getting into NYU. Uh, so I, <laughs> I like, they use that against me. My brother is 10 and a half years older than me. I'm what you would call like um, a mistake. And he, uh, he was, uh, he was, what your parents would call it. Yeah. Well, they have a more, uh, a, a, a looter term for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. I'll tell you what the lewd term is off air. Um, but he, uh, he was an actor. He wanted to be an actor and that really inspired me when I was a kid. So from third grade on, I was in as many elementary, middle school and high school productions as you could imagine, starting in like third grade with Greece in which Danny Zuko and, um, uh, what's her name? Not uh, it's not Sally. It's uh, the other the the female lead in Greece. Is it, is it Sally? Sally? I think I maybe so, it is. Yeah. Well, they were brother and sister because it was third grade. Uh, so that made for a, a little bit of an awkward encounter. But all the way up to Music Man in middle school and Guys and Dolls, and I liked NYU because I wanted to live in the city. My parents are from uh, mm -hmm. Queens, um, and I, you know, I grew up going there all the time. My sister, who's eight years older than me, once again, I'm a mistake, um, went to SVA. <laughs> My brother moved down to New York. So I spent a lot of time there and I just always wanted to go there. I applied there, um, you know, early decision and got in. Um, and, you know, I was like a, a nerdy little theater kid. I found things inside of, of theater um, and playwrights that I just that really opened my mind. Like when I was... Um, uh, a junior in high school, I found Samuel Beckett and Waiting for Godot or Waiting for Gatto, oh, and nice. it it like changed my life. I it, it, I found you know Tom Stoppard and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead and Edward Albee, yes. and I went to these you know summer camps and you know kind of really dug into a lot of these like messed up absurd plays like Eugenia Nesco and um uh I really fell in love. So I went to NYU and decided to pursue it for a while. Um, and had a great time while I was there. I mean, it's it, it was a, a, a not a typical experience. I, I didn't drink. I didn't drink in high school. I didn't really drink until maybe a couple of years into college. So having that experience of a state school wasn't really in it for me. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't like, I got to go to a state school. I got to go where there's college yeah. sports. I got to go to any of that. I actually wanted to get away from that. Um, so, yeah, that's what kind of led me to, to NYU. Um, it's really cool. I, I also dabbled a little bit. I will say in third grade, my career started as well when I played um, Mrs. O'Leary's cow in our class play about the Chicago fire. <laughs> you were uh, great in that, though. Got to got to kick over the lantern, cause all that <laughs> havoc. Uh, we'll have to talk. We'll have to talk later. So are you you're are you more of a theater person then or do you prefer film or one or the other or either? Or? Um. I, I would say I'm definitely more of a, of a film person. When I was in when I was in school, I was pursuing whatever paid. Um, but when I was a kid, I because I didn't go out a lot in high school. I didn't really like to go to parties because I didn't drink. I just it wasn't something that I was interested in doing. I would stay home and go to Blockbuster every Friday night and just try and rent as many movies as possible. And one of the benefits of having a, a sibling who's so much older than me and also having a dad who used to be a photographer and was really into the arts and grew up in New York going to the Fillmore East and seeing all these movies was that he really exposed me to film at a young age. Um, so, you know, I was exposed to like Stanley Kubrick when I was really young and really, really fell in love with Stanley Kubrick. And then like, I literally, I don't think I, I must've been one of the only 
people who left NYU freshman year purposefully went home to get a job at Blockbuster so I could watch as many <laughs> movies as, as physically possible. Um, and I, I don't know if I'm anywhere near how many Ben has seen, because I know Ben is also very well watched, I guess you would oh, I'm say. I'm sure you probably are. I'm sure you probably are. But it, it is it is just something that I've, uh, I don't know, man. It's just, there's something about it. I, I just, I, you know, I, and I, I'm, I'm self-aware enough to know that I have pretentious film habits. I'm self-aware enough to know that like, it's probably, you know, pretentious of me to hate Christopher Nolan as much as I do. Uh, but Dude, like, I know I hate I, him. Oh, man. We I, just had this conversation with Nick on our uh, a week ago, too. Uh, oh, but then again, the Nick prestige, is like, you can't do the prestige, man. Yeah, well, I know the prestige is fine. But when it comes to Nick, he's like, yeah, I know the Dark Knight. You know, <laughs> you know, he, he, like, he'll be the first one to say that. Uh, and there, there's my first pretentious film joke, by the way. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. So I would say I'm just I, I, I'm a film guy. I mean, I. I yeah, I just I love it. I love watching movies. All right. So what's your favorite Kubrick? My favorite Kubrick changes all the time. It's overall, it's probably 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, that yeah. one sticks with me more than than really anything. Um, I think Paths of Glory is maybe the best World Dude. War One movie ever made. Yes. That yeah, is a it's, small it's, that is a small genre, but Paths of Glory, I it it gets overlooked when people yes. talk about best Kubrick films. Yeah, it is very because good. Because they, because I mean, understandably, The Shining, you know, Clockwork Orange, there's a lot of great stuff. But Paths of Glory is so good. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I even have right next to me, I have, uh, uh, I don't think this is going to be shown on camera, so I'll spare you. But nope. I have his uh, um, collection. Uh, he was going to make a movie about Napoleon. And I have the full script of the oh. movie and all of the pictures that he was using as inspiration. I mean, it's a book that's like, you know, it's huge. Oh, it's a huge book. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that oh, also like Lolita is fantastic. Like yeah, Lolita yeah. is the definition of a film that is like, it's so haunting because he doesn't show you anything. Whereas like the remake of Lolita was all about like how lascivious can we get and how right, gross right, can right. we get, but like that movie and it's, it, it's awesome. I, he's just great. He's just so good. Have you seen? I'm trying to remember. There was one movie of his that I saw that was really terrible. Eyes Wide Shut. No, no, no. I actually like that. Did you like Eyes Wide Shut? Well, the first time I saw it, I was like 16, and I was like in love with Nicole Kidman. <laughs> so I was like, "This is boring," but she's gorgeous. Uh, and then when I saw it again, I liked it more. Now I just say, like, what is it? Fidelio? Isn't that their weird password? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I like Eyes Wide Shut. I, I mean, it's not incredible. It was a fear and desire. Oh, one of the early ones. That's like early oh, black yeah. and white. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. I just want to hop in, uh, hop in real quick. Um, I'm not a film aficionado, like I said, so please don't don't make fun of me here. But when you say, did Kubrick make an adaptation of Lolita, that, like Nabokov Lolita? See, he did the original. Mm-hmm. He did the original Vladimir Nabokov Lolita. And the whole catchphrase was, how are they going to make a film about Lolita? Right. Um, and it is <laughs> stunning. And it's actually more, oh. it's haunting. And it's gorgeous. And it's with Peter Sellers, right? Yeah. Um, how did I not know this? This is really, this is yeah, really good. It's really good. <laughs> it's really, really good. That's yeah, incredible. It's on, um, it's on Netflix. I blame my parents for yes. not putting me on that one, man. <laughs> I, I mean, it's not many parents who are like, let's show our son Lolita. <laughs> let's show our son Lolita. You know, we're going to watch for family movie night, Lolita. Yeah, Lolita. <laughs> Although I, I will say, when I was a kid, I really want, I read A Clockwork Orange and then I really wanted to watch it. And my dad was like, it's too inappropriate. If you're going to watch it, you have to watch it with me. And that was not an experience. I enjoyed. <laughs> no, I would never. Oh my god! 
Yeah, I still haven't read the book though. I've seen the movie, but I need to read the book. I, it's on my list of books I need to read. It's a good right. read. It's tough because of the own language thing, but it's a good read. That's mm. fine. He Anthony well, Burgess he, hated it too, from what I understand. He too. absolutely hated it. Not only did he hate it, he hated it so much that in the stage production, he cast the homeless man who gets the crap kicked out of him to look like Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> That's incredible. That's yeah. so funny because didn't Stephen King not like The Shining? Stephen Kubrick, uh, yeah, Stanley King. Uh, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Stephen King hated The Shining. Dude. Yes, Stephen King yeah. absolutely hated The Shining. He's revised so that opinion funny. too, from what I understand as oh, well, though. Yeah, he's probably had a lot of blow when he <laughs> talked about The Shining. So, talking about film is a great segue because oh god, do. <laughs> Alex. We have to talk about the Alex Fast filmography <laughs> because for two reasons. One, I really want to talk about it. And two, everybody on Twitter will send like anthrax to my house if I don't. <laughs> so <laughs> so I <laughs> this is gonna be really fun because uh, um well you'll you'll be able to figure out what I spent a lot of my day doing, but oh, um, God. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna the first thing we got to start with the first thing we have to start with obviously is trip flicks mm-hmm. now uh for anybody who has been uh remotely on twitter and seen like the entire fantasy baseball community collectively lose their minds over a children's travel dvd <laughs> <laughs> what a way um, to put it <laughs> It's been it's been great, but I want you to tell me the, the story behind for anyone who has no clue what I'm talking about. What's the story behind Triplex? It seems like it was a pretty early gig for you. Um, oh, if not if not the first film gig you had, I'm not 100 percent sure. So how did that come about? What is it? And uh, what has it been like lately having uh, everybody watching it all of, and buying it all of a sudden? Oh, yeah. So uh, we'll start from the beginning. I I. My senior year was in a production of um, The Wizard of Oz playing a scarecrow. And we had kids from around the community playing the munchkins. And one of the, you know, I I love dealing with kids. Like I've got a lot of nieces and nephews. It's just, I, I get a kick out of them. I think they're, you know, hilarious. So I was talking with a bunch of the kids and, you know, getting them ready. And I guess a woman had seen how I had interacted with a munchkin who was her son. It turned out that she owned a production company um, in Maryland, and they were getting ready to shoot this children's travel DVD. The note, the, the idea behind it was, you know, you're on a road trip with your family, right? At this point, they were like starting to be, you know, like you could have a DVD player in your car or have your laptop in your car. What can we put in there? You know, we input our destination. We're going from Maryland to Florida. You play the video on the way, and it lets you know all the cool things that you can do. Do you want to do that? And I said, of course. And they were going to, you know, I'm 18 years old. I'm about to go to college and they're going to pay me $6,500 to go go all over the United States. We went to 35 states. It was amazing. How do you say no? How do you say no? You you don't. You You just don't. You don't. And, you know, a hotel, accommodations, like all food, everything paid for. So what we did is we broke up the U.S. into I think it was four or five distinct chunks. We would fly to a location, drive around for two weeks. So, I mean, it was, and this was also like at the height of, you know, I'm this 18 year old kid. So I've got all these, you know, you know, intense views and George Bush is president. So our views of America are a little bit stilted, but like I got to drive around what is an incredibly beautiful country. And like, while I would never suggest driving through Oklahoma because it's very boring, um, you know, got to go 
all over, all over. And, you know, got to go behind the scenes at like, uh, at like, I think it, it, maybe it was SeaWorld before, you know, that awful documentary came out about SeaWorld <laughs> and like meet seals and walruses and like, you know, uh, sing the national anthem at a ballpark and all this stuff. So, yeah, that happened. And then it was dead and buried. And someone in the fantasy came. Oh, it was me. I don't know. Who it was you. Was. No, it was definitely I you. It. You released yeah. it. <laughs> I released it. I sent it. No, I sent it to Nick. Who framed me for this? <laughs> it's like the it's like the Spider Man pointing meme or like the Scooby Doo meme where it's right, like it's right, just me right. all along. I I had got all of the footage and sent it to Nick, and then Nick had a field day with it. Yeah. And then once again, you know, like the end of Terminator, I thought it was dead again. And then once again, from the ashes, it rose. And now there's an Alex Fast Gifts account, and you monsters must be stopped. <laughs> I have no idea who runs that, for the record. Okay, no that's fine. So, yeah. That's... <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, <laughs> so next, I want to talk about the best laid plans, which I have not been able to find anywhere online for me to watch. Yeah. But you seem to I've seen I've been able to see the trailer. You appear to uh have a very prominent role in the film. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about, about that movie. It seems to be sort of kind of like a, a teen sex comedy romp kind of thing. Uh yes. that was pretty early on too. So how did that come about? Yeah, that was in the middle of I think I'm between sophomore year. Um just auditioned for it through a friend and then got cast as like a co-lead and you know two kids living in Westchester who had a good amount of uh budget and they pulled it all together and it was kind of my first experience like doing like a, a film film with a set and a crew and and all of that and um a lot of people think that the man running through the trailer naked is me it's not me um and that is my <laughs> buddy uh Alden um, who is a very dear friend of mine still to this day. And it was just about kind of our, our hijinks. I think you described it kind of well. I do believe there is there was a scene that I had to be fully in the nude for. So I do pray to the gods that no one ever <laughs> finds this movie. All right. Well, now, I mean, based on I the know. tenacity with which people have searched for triplets, uh, <laughs> I would say my, my Venmo, my Venmo is open if you want to stop this particular part. <laughs> yeah, of the, I guess so. As long as like from getting out. If Triplex started an Alex Fast gifts account, will Best Laid Plans start an Alex Fast OnlyFans? <laughs> like, is that? <laughs> oh my God, that's fantastic! All right, so uh, I don't want to as much as I would love to spend this entire podcast on your filmography. God, uh, it's over. There's no more. <laughs> no, 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 there's more. There's more. We got a whole. We got. There's a few. We got oh, a we list. Got more. Oh, Jesus. We got more, man. We got more, man. We quick. Oh God. We quick. First of all, I just wanted to know. There's a lot of Yiddish in that film. You watched it? I I watched it, buddy. I watched it. Oh my God. And there is a whole lot of Yiddish. Like. <laughs> yeah, there's a but, lot of Yiddish in there. It's it's a fun little uh, short film. So it should be noted for uh, for the viewers, and I know they're not viewers, they're listeners, that uh, that these are short films for the most yeah. part. Yeah. The rest of the filmography are all short films, which is why I was able to watch all of them in one afternoon. 
so. I cannot believe you. You're a monster. <laughs> uh, we is is a fun little uh, uh, New York Jewish gangster comedy. Uh, yeah. Sort of. it's, it's fun. It's fun. Uh, Slavenka, I will tell you, I was not able to uh, find the entire film, but I do, I have to mention, I, I was able to see the trailer uh, and great outfit. Mm, thank you. In it, which I tweeted out. Uh, yes, you did this morning. Is excellent. I was watching it and I was like, "You got to screenshot this." Uh, <laughs> it's great. Uh, and also, so I'm going to head to this third one. These are all in the same year, in 2009. I kind of want you to talk about them, like as a group, how these came about. What you know, what was all this? Um, bikini lighters. Uh, yes, came out in 2009. And I just want to ask you, was uh, was it fun punching a child in the face? <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh, my God. I completely forgot about that. And as soon as you said it, it hit me like a ton of bricks and came all <laughs> rushing back. Yes, I had to punch a kid in the woods for that movie. Right in the face. <laughs> right in the face. Because he was watching you make out with your girlfriend. Guy. Yeah, that's the takeaway. Yeah, because he was like, oh, my God. Man, you you are like, I feel like parts of my brain that have not been active since I was under 20 years old are coming to life right now. So all three of those were in 2009, which uh, as well, alongside best laid plans. So this was what your sophomore year of college, you were saying where, where yeah. are, these, are these short films like projects friends are doing or like, what is it? Wakwayak was a project that an acting teacher that I worked with, his friend was working on and she got a, you know, a, a, a B or C list star and Max Casella, uh, who's done a he's one of those faces that once you see him, you're like, Oh, yeah, I recognize him. Um, so Which I helped out. Did he play, he played one of the Jewish guys, <laughs> the one with the most lines because there was, yeah, one the one with the most lines. Like, oh, this guy's doing pretty good, like, yeah, this is that's, really good. yeah, he he definitely, yeah, he, he had actually just done a regional product, no, just done a production of Endgame at BAM with John Turturro. Uh, and oh, he wow. yelled at me on set for mimicking him, even though my character was supposed to mimic him. Um, uh, the other one, Slovenka, was an NYU grad film that was for her thesis. She then ended up being a co-director of an Oscar award-winning documentary. So oh, very same. good for her. Uh, yeah. And then uh, Bikini Lighters was a my high school drama teacher's son who ended up being a director doing a few films, uh, including I think like Sugarland or something. Um, he directed a short film and, and, and I got to do that one and that that's it. I mean, like you make it sound like it's impressive. It's not impressive. It, there, 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 there's nothing to be <laughs> I, yeah, proud I, of <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> I should mention that these are three short films that are about 10 minutes each. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> it's a, it's a grand total of like 30 minutes of screen time maybe and speaking of a lack of screen time the next one was in 2011 which is uh jim kirby's pizza what is that <laughs> you're in it buddy you're in it I am. <laughs> you play a uh a teenager who accosts a child for trying to sell him pizza as a fundraiser for his middle school i have no credit, idea what this is <laughs> I have genuine. I'm looking. So Andrew Goldman was the guy who who did um, was the guy who did Bikini Lighters, I think. I have I have genuinely no idea 
Oh, you're this movie. <laughs> so are you like on your way to getting typecast as just dude who punches children in films? Well, no, you, 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 you Two in a row. A child, you tell a child who is uh, reluctantly selling pizza because his dad makes him to raise funds for his middle school. You tell him or you or your friend because you are both unnamed teens uh, that no one will buy his stuff and that it sucks. You've seen this? I have seen this. I'm in this? You're you're credited in it. See, here's the thing: your face is not in it, but it is one credited to Alex Fast and two in your IMDb. Yeah, I just checked my IMDb. I... <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh no! It's all, good. it's all good. He'll come back. <laughs> As we're on the precipice of the big reveal, <laughs> Jim, and he's back. <laughs> How dare you? Welcome back. Really clicked out of the IMDb page. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have no recollection of I was like, how dare you bring up that movie? We we discussed before the podcast. Not <laughs> I have no idea what that movie is. Not not a clue. That is hilarious. Oh mm-hmm. my god. Yeah, you're you're definitely in it. And I was just wondering the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, is this a rip on Joe Corby's pizza? And if so, <laughs> how dare this writer? Because Joe Corby's pizza is very good. <laughs> For fundraiser pizza, it is pretty solid. Um, we've got a billion other questions, but really quick. Ken Show at the Bedfellow, and I want to mention Ken Show at the Bedfellow is your final acting credit. And looks to be like, <laughs> looks to be like a legit like film film. Like a pretty big cast. Uh-huh. Um, one, so Ken Show at the Bedfellow seems to be different from the previous ones, except for the... Uh, your first film, which seemed to be a relatively like bigger feature. It's not a 10 minute short film. So what's, what's the story behind that? I can't, I, I didn't have time to watch a two hour film that you were not in for very long because you're very low on the cast list. 100%. Uh, and why was that your last, why did you stop acting after that? So Kencho the Bedfellow, I don't even recall that much. It was definitely through a friend of a friend again. And I remember the, the lead guy, um he was he was a very eccentric dude very very kind but a very eccentric man um at that point i was i got a call to come in after all the networking and blah 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 with an agent at a major firm uh, a major agency and i went in and they the first thing they were like was not like what's your resume or anything like that it was like okay let's look at your youtube page and this was like before all that, right? Because this is like early, mm. you know, this is like 2011, 2012. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I just got so disillusioned. Like, I was like, I'm not doing that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm like, th- the industry is just changing in such a drastic way. And I respect everyone who is in it because it is such a grind. It is like such an unbelievable grind. And I think I was like, I want to start a family one day. And I, you know, that's really important to me. And I could not stand the anxiety of like having a gig for six weeks and then not knowing if you're ever going to get a gig again. You know what I mean? And then like, uh, luckily I have friends who have finally made it. Uh, Like I've got a buddy who was just in, you know, Emily in Paris. And I I found out today that two of my friends got a pilot picked up by CW and I've got friends who do. Yeah, it's great. I mean, like these guys are these guys and girls are 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 making it, but they have been working tirelessly since 2010. You know what I yeah, mean? At, yeah, yeah. at the earliest, like 2010, and they are finally, finally 
getting a break. Like I went to school with the people who did Pen15, Maya and Anna, and they're fantastic, right? Yeah. But they've been working on that since they were graduated before me. So they've been working since 2007. You know, like that, it's just such an incredibly impossible industry. You just reminded uh, me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And sorry, I, I interrupt people. I'm sorry. No, 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 uh, go ahead. No, 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 you're good. Uh, didn't you go to school with um, uh, 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 Nick Coker and Brian? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian, I went to school Brian with McElhaney. But yeah, Brian McElhaney. Uh, yes, I went to school with them and they I, I used to hang out with Nick. I didn't really hang out with Brian. I hung out with Nick every once in a while um, and hung with that crowd. And they were just yeah, they're they're hilarious. They're for, really... for anyone who doesn't know who they are. They uh, 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 did a sketch comedy thing on YouTube called Britannic and eventually wrote for Saturday Night Live for a couple uh, seasons. Yeah, so that's that's even more wild. So I went to school with Bowen yeah. Yang, who's on Saturday Night Live. Oh, you went to school uh, with Bowen? No way. Yep. Word. I went to school with Bowen. I went to school with um, uh, Chloe Feynman. Uh, did some oh, wow. improv shows with her. Um, this is what I'm saying. Like, a, a lot of my friends, I'm, I'm very, very happy for them because they've stuck with it, and they're they're finally kicking ass, man, and that's awesome. That's awesome. So speaking of improv sketch type stuff, tell us a little about Uncle Function. Uncle Function. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, Uncle Function was, so I did an off-Broadway show called the Awesome 80s Prom, which every night, uh, every Saturday night was an 80s prom. And it was like the number one bachelorette destination in New York City. And I just got groped by a bunch of women from New Jersey for an hour and a half. Uh, that guy then did another show called That Bachelorette Show. As we were, we built That Bachelorette Show from scratch. We did it all through improv. He pulled me aside. This, you know, Broadway producer pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, I'm going to give you my off-Broadway theater. Can you form an improv group and start doing shows there? And so I started Uncle Function and got five or six of my friends. Uh, and it's still going to this day. I left when I left yeah. the industry and they're still doing a great job. And they've got a lot of uh, a, a lot of really funny work. And, you know, they're, they're feeling it right now in the pandemic. But, yeah, man, they are they are some funny people. But, yeah, I did that for for quite some time. That's so. Yeah, I uh, I, I stumbled upon Uncle Function online and uh, they, they it looked like like a really solid uh, sketch group, like a, a good, uh, nice website. They look like they're doing fairly well. Uh, yeah. And you're, you still you got a pretty featured, prominent place on the website. There. I say you're oh, do I? Featured, yeah. You are <laughs> featured among the uncles listed, uh, even though uh, you are not a member of the sketch uh, group anymore. They got so mad at me because I came to one of their shows like last year and just sat in the front row and didn't laugh because it made me laugh. <laughs> oh, that is the worst. That is, that is, yeah, evil. it was really best, <laughs> but I <laughs> thought it was great. That actually, so that makes me think of a, I always like asking this question to anybody who did live theater. Give me a uh, stage horror story. Oh, sure. Great. Um, when I was, uh, doing your good man charlie brown i got knocked unconscious by a wooden pencil um i was i got hit in the head with a wooden pencil and knocked unconscious at the end of the first act and when i the the the, the famous story in my circle of friends is i was doing a play that i wrote called um alfred von waddlegrave uh and i was on this crazy diet that this personal trainer of mine was insisting that i try that was like just almonds chicken and broccoli uh, and I completely, 
passed out in the middle of the show, had to leave in an ambulance uh, in the oh, middle no. of a show. Like for like, I was like a oh. senior and these are like for freshmen, like to this day, people, not to this day, excuse me, that's wrong. But there were times for the next two or three years where people would see me and be like, oh, I was there the night that you passed out uh, in, in the no. middle of a show. Uh, yeah, that was that I will never, <laughs> ever, ever live down, ever, that, ever live down. That is awful. That, that is bad. awful. I can't. <laughs> I was the in word... like old, like 18th century fop garb, you know what I mean? Like an old clown jester. Holy and I, the whole show, yeah. I'm like running and speaking fast and, and right, you know, 30 minutes into the play, I've been running around like crazy, passed out. Oh my Isn't God. It? That's, that's amazing. That, <laughs> that made me think of, um, so like one of the, I wasn't part of this play when this uh, stage nightmare happened, but it's one of my favorite stage nightmares I've witnessed. Um, it was, uh, my high school was doing a production of skin of our teeth, Okay, yeah. which, uh, uh, no high school should ever do. The Sam Shepard, right? Yeah. yeah that's a yeah, big yeah. one for high school. <laughs> it was, it was really not a great idea. It was a student play. So the student who directed it really wanted to do skin of our teeth. So there's a scene, a very emotional scene towards the end where, uh, two characters are arguing with each other and one of them pulls a gun. And we had a prop gun and uh, one of the characters at some point uh, was supposed to kind of take the gun, take it backstage so that the character later could come on stage and have the gun to pull the gun on the person. Well, one night, uh, the person who was supposed to take the gun backstage forgot to. So it was on uh, a coffee table on stage and this argument scene is happening and the guy who gets the gun pulled on him has the gun next to him Oh god! So they get to the part where the gun is supposed to be pulled, and the guy picks the gun up off the table and tosses it <laughs> to the other guy, who catches it and pulls it on him. And wow, <laughs> what a reversal! <laughs> what a dramatic moment! <laughs> and it's just—it is such a serious. It's a very serious, heady yeah, play in general. Course. And then just at this moment, we're like it's such an emotional moment like i picks up the gun and tosses it and he catches it and says gotcha <laughs> gotcha gotcha <laughs> that was oh my god i was so That's glad amazing. i wasn't on stage because i would have been absolutely mortified i would i would have died of laughter probably <laughs> i don't know how they kept it together. it's incredible that they kept mm. it together That's but amazing. oh my god um so since you're uh I guess so. Since you're into sketch comedy, I assume you're into sketch comedy since you started a sketch comedy group. Uh, what's some of your favorite sketch? I mean, you know, I feel like the obvious answer with sketch comedy is SNL. I feel like everybody mm -hmm. almost is an SNL fan. Uh, and that's okay if that's your answer. But your favorite sketch comedy troupe show uh, currently in the past? Uh, um, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, my, my bar mitzvah theme was SNL. So obviously growing up, that yes. was a big influence to me. Um, my favorite sketch of all time probably is the Mr. Show sketch, Are You Using That Chair? Which is, it's Bob Odenkirk and David Cross. And it's David Cross coming into an audition. Oh, I'm so dumb to even laugh at it. Um, David Cross coming into an audition and uh, him being like, can I like there's a chair in front of the table and he's like, can I use this chair? And Bob Odenkirk's like, yeah, go ahead. And he's like, oh no, sorry, that's part of the monologue. 
And he's like, oh, sorry, like take it from the top again. He's like, okay, seriously, can I use this chair? <laughs> just like it goes on for so long and it's so dumb and it just, it just makes me laugh. It's such like a perfect little bit of comedy. Um, I think that, yeah, that's definitely one of my favorites. That show was, oh was brilliant. Like were, you, were you a fan of the states i'd seen a few of their things i i that was what's his name um uh it's a lot of people. My, david wayne michael ian black michael show michael ian black that's um, the name i'm thinking of yeah thomas i'd seen lennon. a few of their things uh, yes thomas lennon yes the, the reno 911 people and the stella people stella oh my stella God. you know what that's who i'm more familiar with stella i didn't oh know God, mr state stella. as well the, but then the, you know what's the, funny the state was great and yeah i didn't i didn't watch as much of the state i had another one of those weird reckonings um after so there was the big one in high school with like waiting for gato and stuff like that and then again right. in college when i saw tim and eric awesome show great job that oh. was like oh my god like people have the same sense of humor as me like that <laughs> just like that blew my mind to this day it is a show that i can watch all the time i love everything that they do i think tim heidecker is our andy kaufman i just think that he's absolutely brilliant and i I my, my even my PlayStation handle is spaghetti. Um, like I just I I love them. I just love them. I absolutely love them. I my my buddy told me that Tim he uh, Eric Wareheim came into my place of work one night when I was off at around eleven o'clock, and I got in a cab to go meet him because I was just so excited. I couldn't believe it. Oh, that's so cool. Do you remember the Adult Swim show? What was it called? Xavier. Mm -mm, I don't know that one. Xavier. There was this Adult Swim show. Uh, uh, uh it was like. It looked like it was early CGI design. It was very cheap for CGI about this okay. superhero angel who was like an eagle man. It was the most drug-induced, <laughs> weird show you have ever seen. But it uh. is the funniest thing on the planet when you're high. I mean, it is like lose your mind. Like, it was incredible. You have to YouTube some. Yeah, we'll cut all this. That's fine. <laughs> No, no, no. I Maybe we won't. Forget it. We'll keep it. Whatever. We didn't. We're not saying we endorse it. We're just saying we did it. We didn't say whether we regret it. Or Do not. it. Listen to Tool. Open your mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, or Dude. not. Oh, God. Didn't it turn out that Maynard James Keenan is like a super predator or something like that. Is he really? I think so. Oh, like, I some Mar that. like Marilyn Manson type stuff. Oh, I did not know that. Like really? That. Maybe not that specific, but like. I, damn that just oh, killed mood. i'm sorry no 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 it's okay glad to hear that he's uh <sighs> he weirds me out he just i don't know you know what's he's funny something. is i've never gotten the tool thing like i, I mean i like tool mm. I, I like tool i like listening to him i've never gotten the the tool obsession which i know a lot of people who have like a an obsession yeah with tool hmm. yeah and i, I yeah, I like them. I'm the same way. I, I'm not like the person who's like, yeah, the Fibonacci's code is in the music. Dude, uh, that that stuff, like, it's it's like it's like watching somebody do complex calculations in their head. It's like, yeah, that's technically impressive, but I don't care. Or it's just like being in a room of people who are on a trip that you're not on. You know what I mean? Like they're like, it looks fun, but okay. Yeah, man. Like, I played I played the bass as a t growing up and as a teenager too. So like I would be killing like lateralis and all of these other songs like mm -hmm. that's how i got to know them and then 
I would try to show my friends sometimes. And it's a little different with the bait. Like when you're on a guitar and you try to show your friends something, you look look like a douche. And when you're like on a bass <laughs> and you try to show your friends something, it just makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and I do, I remember so distinctly trying to show them because like I learned how to play lateralis. Like that's an, yeah. that's a, that's a tough one. And I remember getting through this, like, you know, I had some friends over and getting through, you know, like a minute and a half of them just kind of looking up and they're sitting there just like, like, what are you playing right yeah now? exactly what, what? dude i so <laughs> i've i've played bass since i was in middle school and i'm all with you people gather around oh, you yeah. and you're like oh play play um play you know play that green day song and you play it and they're like i can't i can't hear it it's like yeah i know because i don't have an amp and they're like well uh, okay you can't like gather around at a party and be like you know when you have an acoustic guitar it's like play satellite you know play play, play wonderwall uh, yeah exactly play wonderwall play what was uh that other oh my god uh, that other hey captain there delilah song. uh no not were, hey there delilah no, saying, no here listen that captain song but i'm saying in the 2000s in the mid 2000s if you were like a teenager who had access to an acoustic guitar at a party at some point, you were playing "Hey There, Delilah" for the girls present. That, that's yes, At without some, a doubt. I mean, and like eye contact. For for us, it was them. the general by Dispatch. Like that oh was like God. the go to. Like <laughs> what pretentious high school did you go to? <laughs> told you, dude. Clarksville, Maryland, man. Pretentious dudes. Dis- pretentious Everyone people. was listening to Dispatch. I knew like one person in high school was listening. Well, to I, Dispatch. weren't they Maryland though? Weren't they from Maryland? I I mean, maybe I have no idea. I believe it. No, that was Jimmy's Chicken Shack. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I knew, like, one person who listened to Dispatch, and she was obsessed with Dispatch. Like, I've never seen – it's so funny to see what people are obsessed with. And, like, I never thought I'd meet someone who's obsessed with Dispatch. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, she turned me on to Dispatch, which I like them. And then uh, that led to me uh, listening to State Radio, which was one of the guys from Dispatch. Mm-hmm. But – yeah, that's funny. Everyone was playing. You're playing the general. That's so funny. Oh yeah, it was a decorated general with a heart of gold uh, all the time. Dude, I can still play, play it right now. <laughs> it's a great. It's a great song. Um, all right, so I want to. I want to kind of pivot a little bit to kind of the overall theme of this podcast, which is while you are a fascinating and wonderful person. Oh, thank you. Uh, no, no problem. It's it's true. Uh, you obviously write a lot about baseball and are involved with baseball and we are within a podcast network of a baseball site. So it is reasonable then to assume that you like baseball and I want to know why, like there are a lot of sports out there. Uh, there are all kinds of recreational things you could watch. Uh, why is it baseball? What is it that drew you to baseball? What is it about baseball that you love that makes it distinct from other sports? Why? Yeah, um, I, I think like just the, the 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 narrative of it is like what really gets me. Like I think there's a lot of weird through lines in my life, and my obsession with Beckett really actually ties into baseball because there's something about like the beauty, the beauty of the futility of all of it. You know what I mean? Like just the, the nature of the failure of all of it and the acceptance of failure and the, 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 the pushing through <clears throat> the pushing through of that failure. Like there's a great Beckett quote um, 
from like the unnameable, which was one of his novels that's like ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better, right? And those last three phrases, try again, fail again, fail better, that's baseball to a T. You know what I mean? Like that's literally all you're trying to do is, is fail better. You know what I mean? Um, and no other sport really is like that, right? In, no sport can you fail as often as you do at a sport like baseball. And I think there's such a, you know, in many ways that I got to mean, this is the best way, like pathetic drive to it. You know what I mean? There's something so um, captivating about a person truly not giving up on a dream. And these baseball players just possess that, you know what I mean? And and that's really kind of what I fall in love with. It's also in, in many ways, like, um, you know, you know, that documentary hero dreams of sushi. Yeah. 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 Zach's I'm, I'm, like, not, yeah. I'm not i have no I, idea I, 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 haven't me. Seen it, but I've, I have heard of it and i'm familiar more familiar with the documentary now uh it's <laughs> yes it's sadly like the second time i brought it up on a podcast but it's essentially about a, 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 a famous japanese chef right. who works in this great sushi place that's oddly in a subway station but about the pursuit of perfection with sushi right mm -hmm. And yep. there's something also to baseball about that, about this kind of pursuit of perfection of it, right? The perfect game being the like the, kind of the ultimate thing that you strive for, knowing that it's not going to happen. Um, and it's kind of the, the the same thing with with acting too. Just like it's this pursuit of perfection, knowing that it's not going to happen. Um, and there's something really whimsical about that. So while you know. It's easy for me to say, like, you know, like Ben, I grew up in Maryland and watching Cal Ripken play as a kid is very inspiring. But then, of course, in our formidable years, they were, you know, parading Vladimir Guerrero and Sammy Sosa and, you know, Albert Bell out there. So it's not like we really fell in love with that team, although Brian Roberts was a lot of a lot of fun. But then yeah. I remember two distinct moments. Well, no, one distinct moment, really, that the moment where I was like, OK, this is the sport for me. Um, because I was actually a really big football fan as a kid because the Ravens were new and like they won yep. the Super Bowl in 2001. Um, the night, the craziest night, I argue, I really believe the craziest night in sports history overall was the night where all those teams were determining whether or not they were going to go to the playoffs or not. 2011, um, I think yes, it was. With exactly. the, that was the, the yep. Dan Johnson, Evan Longoria night. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. And that was happening the exact same time as the Baltimore Orioles were playing the the Boston Red Sox. Yep. Um, Robert and, Andino. Yes, the curse of the Andino. <laughs> and I remember sitting in my apartment in Williamsburg and watching that happen. And this was after years of, you know, this is still the 13 year. This is the 13th year that we had had a losing record. And something just clicked and felt different that night. And everything just fell into place. And I don't think there's been a day since then that I haven't, you know, like you guys, just thought about it and obsessed about it and wanted to talk about it. It's what blows my mind is when does it stop? Like, you don't, you truly, you hear it all the time. I learn, I feel like an idiot every day about this sport, like every day. I feel like yeah. I don't understand what's going on. And there's something kind of fun about that. Yeah, I really and, enjoy that you brought. Well, I'm sorry, Ben. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I was, I was just going to add to uh, the narrative of it. Is there's this um, Earl Weaver quote that is uh, on the wall in the uh, club level of uh, Camden Yards, and I'm paraphrasing it, but essentially he says that the thing that makes baseball unique is that no matter what, you have to give the other guy a chance. Mm -hmm. Like you can't run out the clock. 
Mm. There is no lead that is insurmountable technically. Mm. Because no matter what, no matter how big your lead is, you have to go out there and you got to get three more outs. Yeah. And that's it. You always have to give the opponent a chance. Yeah. If you're up by 35 points in the start of the fourth quarter in football, you're probably going to win. You can just kind of sit on the ball. And there, there comes a point in, in football, in basketball, in soccer, in hockey, where a lead is mathematically insurmountable. Hmm. That does not exist in baseball yeah and that i think is beautiful and does speak to the beauty of the narrative of the game that there is always no matter how under an underdog might be they can they could find their way to a victory it could happen yeah and on that note i think i really love that you brought beckett into that too though because i i've actually i've used the phrase like theater of the absurd mm. to describe baseball like so much and it has that same that kind of that kind of vibe to it that i think you don't get in other sto- sports where there are moments where you just kind of have to throw your hands up and be like you know what the hell like what's going on and so i kind of one of the things i wanted to ask you on those lines is what's just like the weirdest thing you've ever seen at a game or the most interesting thing or something that makes you think or something that you just know, like, I'm never going to see that again, or I didn't expect to see that something that, you know. Yeah, no, I hear you. That sticks with me. It sticks with you. There you go. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just because of recency bias, but it kind of fits in with the, with the whole narrative of narratives, but the, the, the Brett Phillips walk off in, in the oh world series, wow. you know what I mean? Like th- that's what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause there is like, there's the David Tyree catch in the NFL, but yeah. like even that comes from Eli Manning. You know what yes. I mean? Like yeah. that happens solely because of Brett Phillips. You know what I mean? And yes. that to me, like even if it's just 60 games of buildup or at that point, you know, 84 or whatever games of buildup, including right. the playoffs to get to that point, that isn't almost, it's the things like that that make you say like genuinely, if I saw this in a movie, I would say, you know, this is impossible. This is unbelievable. Yeah. You know, those, and it's the Andino thing as well, right? Mm-hmm. The Dan Johnson thing as well. Um, right, Dan, it's Dan Johnson, right? I believe uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's like it those, the, the, the moments, it, it's also, there's my, my favorite baseball book is Where Nobody Knows Your Name because it's yeah. about those guys. You know what I mean? It's about like those guys who like, Johnson was like back in the minors next year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Steve Pierce, was the World Series MVP. He is gone from mm-hmm. baseball forever, and no one will really remember him. And and that to me, those are those are my favorite moments. The, uh, those the impossible ones. Yeah. How about Delman Young? Yeah. Oh yeah. Don't even get me started on Delman Young. Yeah. The Delman Young double. It's like yeah. it it is burned into my memory forever, yeah. and it is truly one of the most exciting. I still get excited watching it today. Yeah. Like I get I I like I know what's going to happen. I know it frame by frame in my head. Yeah. And I still get like what's going to happen is he going to make like just it it's so exciting and You seeing, can't believe it. Oh my god, no. Every yeah, time JJ can't. Hardy rounds third, you're like he's out. He's out. Oh my god. And then and then the guys at home waiting for him, they like fall on their backs. And yeah, they back. just, And that's and I love and one of the things I loved about um, Brett Phillips was like after the game, he's such a goofy dude, and he was just <laughs> so happy. Yeah, he was just so happy. He's just like I'm out there airplane into the outfield. It's like man, 
it was it was so so sweet and mm. and heartfelt and it just it was so genuine and that's yeah. why the the beauty of it is like one swing can change a game and so a guy who comes up and is hit 200 all year and has two home runs could hit that third home run yeah. and win the game like yeah. and it just that that is yeah I, the narrative of baseball i love that that is a that's a beautiful answer i love it mm. nice. i love yeah. it yeah you know, I, I just thought about this, and we didn't really talk about this when we were kind of talking about um, you. But now that we're talking about baseball, I do I do want to quickly ask, uh, you've been at Pitcher List for about as long as I have, if I remember yep. right. I think you joined a little bit, like a couple months after me. Yep, yep. How did you uh, come across Pitcher List at that time? Because Pitcher List wasn't exactly like a massive site. Nick was just on a street corner, just begging. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I took he, had a, he had a white he had a white sign with Mark on it that said I the have sandwich tips. board, you know? Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was cosplaying as a die hard with a vengeance. Um he, he uh, uh there was a Reddit post and I was transitioning out of acting or was definitely growing more disenfranchised with it. And I um had a fantasy league and I had someone reach out to me about like, well, maybe you could write um, for a different site. And I wrote one article about Adam Jones, maybe turning it around um, and nothing came of it, but I was like, Oh, I guess I could kind of write about this. Reached out to Nick. We had a phone interview. We talked about Rick and Morty. Um, I asked if he had ever wanted to start a podcast and he said, that's something that he'd thought about. And uh, yeah, then I started writing about prospects. I started writing about Tyler Glasnow. It's like, God, I don't know anything about prospects. So... Um, yeah, I didn't <laughs> yeah. know anything back then. Fun, fun fact. Uh, I yeah. learned this a couple of weeks ago. If you go to uh, archive.org, you can see old versions of Pitcher List. Yes. And some the way back I machine. See, yeah, the way back machine. I saw. I was able to read some of my old, uh, the first articles that I wrote for Pitcher Ooh, List. Brutal, right? Uh, uh, yeah, they weren't great, but I don't know if you remember the column I had. The very first column I had with Pitcher List was called Hit or Quit. Oh, hit, yes. <laughs> Which I wanted to do a uh, an article basically on like, you know, these guys are being picked up right now. Do you believe them or, or not? Mm. And, and, you know, everyone had like legit or not or something like that. And I'm like, I want to come up with something different. And so the yeah, first thing that popped in my head was hit it or quit it. And I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> like there's no, I, the, I don't know why the pop in my head. I was like, I can't do this. And so I mentioned it to Nick and he was like, all right, let's do it. And then we had like, I think we had one comment. I was like, this seems a little uncouth for this. Site. Yeah. And it was like, come <laughs> on. Like, <laughs> it's a parliament it like, song. Mind. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. I love, I and, love George Clinton. <laughs> and part of me wanted to respond to the comment and be like, I know, but I couldn't get it out of my head. I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> <laughs> I had probably like I think I finished out the season with those and then they like died. But that's that's funny. I never had a phone interview with Nick. I just emailed him. I was like, "Hey man, do you want someone to write for the site?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure." Yeah, please. And that was it. Um, okay, so now we're gonna do a little uh, sort of section where this is more of like I, I hesitate to call it a lightning round because I don't necessarily want you to feel pressured to answer these questions quickly. But we're gonna play a little pepper. Okay. And these are going to be questions, you know, if you want to answer them quickly, that's fine. If you want to take your time, you know, this, this podcast is yours. So take your time. Uh, first question, favorite sport that is not baseball? Football. Okay. That makes yeah, sense. I mean, I mean, 
Yeah, Ravens. I grew up a diehard Ravens fan. Spent way too much money going to the Super Bowl back in 2011-12. Just yeah, I, 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 as 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 problematic as I find that institution overall. Every year, yeah. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to do this again, and then I just fall in love and I get very angry every Sunday. Yeah, that's that's my relationship with the Chicago Bears exactly. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite favorite Ravens player, past present? Um, Ed Reed. Mm-hmm. Ed Reed was just I like, like I mean, I obviously Ray Lewis had his issues and he's, you know, the greatest maybe to ever play that position or at least top five for sure. But Ed Reed was the quiet man next to him who just was the mm-hmm. general on the field. I hated every time he would get an interception, he would lateral it behind him and it pissed Dude. me off to no end. Oh my uh, God. The yeah, amount but, of times my dad and I would shout at the TV whenever. Why like, are you doing? You just fall down. Yeah, but I loved Ed yeah. Reed. He was amazing. I actually got to watch the NBA playoffs with Ed Reed briefly. Whoa. I say that, I say that like we were buddies. We were not. I was at a, uh, <laughs> I was at an event. A uh, I used to work for uh, Fox Forty Five in Baltimore. Okay. And we had an event, uh, the same Fox 45 and the CW Baltimore were in the same uh, company. And CW Baltimore was hosting the Ladarius website charity softball tournament. And so because of that, I got tickets to the tournament. And I also got tickets to a crab feast at Jimmy's Famous Seafood in Baltimore Mm. right afterwards with a bunch of the Ravens. And uh, the Heat were playing the Bulls uh, in the playoffs. And I was at the bar watching this game, and LeBron gets this cheapo foul called mm-hmm. for him. And I'm like, man, of course, like complaining about this. And the guy yeah. in front of me turns around and is like, yeah, I know, right? And that was Ed Reed. I was oh. like, oh, Ed Reed was watching this game with me. That and is like, amazing. And we like briefly acknowledged my existence and the yeah. fact that he agreed with me that LeBron was like getting a cheap foul call. Tori Smith was there um, with his adorable child uh, and uh, Marlon Brown, a whole bunch of guys, but that's awesome. That was just, that was fun. Ed Reed's great. I don't know if you saw, but Zach just showed on his camera, New York, Nick, great. uh, Legend. (laughs) Yeah. To get a little hint on whatever I was feeling at that moment probably wasn't great. I can actually, that series like that was, yeah, that was a brutal one. That was a series where like, I want to say Rose actually made a uh, last minute shot to win the game or something like that. Didn't he? Even that's, I don't know. Maybe that was against. Yeah. That was when LeBron was in Cleveland. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, I, I yeah. could tell you about Derek Rose buzzer meters for, for, for days on days. That's a whole other we, podcast. That's a whole other podcast. So this, this question that you could both go for this, I guess, or you could bounce off each other. Cause I'm just curious. You're both Baltimore people, Baltimore Orioles yep. fans. Uh, yep. I've never been to Camden Yards. Mm-hmm. I would love to go to Camden Yards someday. I certainly will someday, but what is your favorite part about Camden Yards? Best part of the park. For me, it's the, um, the, the, the closeness of it. Like the, I think what, one of the things that makes the warehouse so impressive or, or makes the stadium so nice is the coziness of it. Because even though it's open into the city of Baltimore and center field, you feel confined in a really nice way. Like you're kind of in this really nice place. I, I this is kind of sacrilege. I don't love Boogs, which is like the huge restaurant there. Like I apps, I actually don't love it. I prefer the little um, the hot dog with um, uh, crab mac and cheese. Like that's okay, what I go yeah, for. Because yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. Boog, Boogs is good, but uh, what about the crab dip waffle fries? 
Yeah, those are very good. Those, those are very are, good. Yeah. They also got rid of Natty Bo, which I found a little problematic because that's, that's like his. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole other thing. But I that's think that's insane. that's the other. What's interesting about it is like, I went to Comerica and I actually really fell in love with Comerica because it actually I think almost improves upon Camden in a certain way. In that, when you get into Camden, once you go outside, um, the the concourse is all concrete and you can't really look in, right? Um, and that's the one thing that I don't love about it. Like, whereas Comerica, you walk in and the concourse, you can still view into the field. But then again, as a result of the concourse being concrete and sealed in, once you step inside, once you actually go into where the seats are, the atmosphere, yes. I just got goosebumps. The atmosphere yes, yeah. just jumps out at you uh, re really well. The best part about it, though, overall is the O in the national anthem on opening day. Yes. That's the best part about it. And thank God I'm a country boy during the seventh inning. <laughs> yes, that always cracks me up. A bunch of like, we're in Baltimore. Why are we singing, thank God I'm a country boy? Do you know the story of that? It was, um, I don't know, one of the players uh, on the Orioles in like the 80s was just like, hey man, what if we played this song during the seventh inning stretch? And the Orioles were just like, hey, eh, cool. And that was it. That's how it started. Wow. I didn't yeah, know that. It was basically like, well, yeah, one of the players was like, this is a cool song. And yeah, it was not, uh, it was not anything special, but yeah, that, you know, it's so funny. I was going to say the ambiance of mm -hmm. the, the atmosphere of Camden Yards. And uh, I think you captured exactly what that atmosphere is, because as soon as you're saying that about how the closeness of feeling like you're inside and not like necessarily in the city, I was like, yeah, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. The, it's a beautiful, I mean, just a gorgeous park. And obviously, you know, I'm I'm biased not only because I love the Orioles. I'm also biased because I've been going to Camden Yards since I was a kid, since before yeah. I was born. I mean, my my mom likes to joke that my first Orioles game was when she was six months pregnant with me. Mm -hmm. I have memories of uh, I went to I, one of my favorite memories. I went to a game with my dad, and uh, it started raining. There was a two-hour rain delay. And so my dad and I got a deck of cards, like Orioles cards from the gift shop. We sat in a stairwell and we played gin for awesome. two hours. And then he was like, I got nowhere to go. Let's just hang out. Mm -hmm. So we hung out. We played gin in the stairwell for two hours. And then we got to watch the rest of the game. Like just, I have so many fond memories inside yeah. that park that I just, I love it so, so much. Uh, but yeah, I feel like the, the closeness of it is, is great it yeah. it doesn't have the best like food of every ball but not or drink or drink no not that it, it should i mean it should have much better food um i personally do like books um i don't think it's like incredible but i'm a i am a fan okay. uh but yeah no i i would agree the just the atmosphere of it the closeness and orioles fans are yeah, yeah. Wonderful, because yeah. the the ones who go when the team is terrible are the ones who just love the game and love the team, mm. and those are the best people. Like I will admit, going to an Orioles game and they're playing the Red Sox or the Yankees is tough. <laughs> but uh, I actually went to an Orioles Red Sox game, um, or no, sorry, Orioles Yankees game, 
and I brought a sign that said Bucky Den is my hero. <laughs> and I was like, and and of course this was like the you know 2000s, so it was loaded with Yankees fans and people were like yelling at me. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's yeah, absolutely. Camden Yards. There's nothing. If you go to Camden Yards, I'm not going to say like you got to do this. Like there are a few things that are worth like, hey, go check out Boogs. It's pretty good barbecue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's nothing where I'm going to be like you got to do this. It's just yeah. just being enjoy there. and yeah, just being there and that walk through the tunnel into mm-hmm. the field. Yeah, that's just a whole because you can't see the field. It's like you're entering another world. You're like crossing yeah. the veil. And it's just like this. Whoa, wow. There's the field. There's it's it's beautiful. And I, I don't I never I will always volunteer to go like buy food or something so I can do it over and over again. Yeah. I love doing it. Yeah, yeah you'll so have poetic. to. Zach, you got to go to camp. It is. Yeah, you got to go. Yeah, you got to go. Zach. I just love I love that story of playing cards in the stairwell too though. That's such a baseball specific experience yeah. too. You know, that's just not an experience you could have had at, you know, any other any other sporting yeah. event. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's I just can't kicking. like as much as I love basketball, I can't imagine sitting in the stairwell of the United Center playing cards. You know? No, there are a few Wizards <laughs> games I've been to where I'd oh, rather be days. playing cards than 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 watching them. Oh play. my god. Yeah. The uh um yeah, I, it's just, I don't know, it's just uh, sticking it out. That was something my parents always kind of uh, ingrained in me, was sticking it out through the game. Mm. You know, like we didn't leave early for games most of the time. You know, we, I, I, yeah. I've mentioned a few times I was at the 30 to 3 game. Yeah. And uh, we stayed, that was game one of a doubleheader. We stayed for game two. <laughs> they insane. also lost. I love that. That's um, and it's just, we always, no matter how big the lead was against us, we always stuck it out. We stuck it out through rain delays most of the time. Uh, as my parents have gotten older, they've they have less patience for staying. Of course, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, it's I love that part. Mm. So uh, next next question. See, see, I told you we don't have to go fast. What's your favorite type of pitch? Oh, that's a good question. Um, right and now, why? I think right now I think it's the slider because we. It seems that. We just don't know anything about it, which like kind of cracks me up. Like Barton Smith is doing all this like fantastic work with like, um, uh, you know, with seam shifted wake and everyone's, you know, we know it seems like everything there is to know about four seamers where it's like, all right, we got the Magnus force, we got the backspin, we got all this stuff. And then people just like gyroscopic sliders, like people just don't know how they work physically. And that just kind of cracks me up. You know what I mean? It's funny. It's like, we always like, I always think about how like people didn't know that the earth was round back, you know, some people still don't believe it. Um, And, and, uh, you know, they didn't know it. And then all of a sudden we found out that that was like a truth that we didn't realize. And I'm so excited for those truths to come out about certain pitches that we just always assumed that, um, you know, Oh, no pitch can move twice, you know? And then one day we find out, okay, a pitch can actually move twice. Um, And I think sliders right now present the most opportunity for that kind of growth. Um, So I would say that overall uh, a slider. And then, you know, if I want it to be kitschy, the knuckleball, the knuckleball is like, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a wonder. It's a freak pitch. And it's maybe, I think everyone loves the knuckleball because they know that the only way they would ever be able to throw in the big leagues is if they mastered a knuckleball. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, don't we all just have a fantasy of like, Oh, I fell down the stairs and I broke my hand and now I throw a perfect knuckleball. (laughs) Yeah. So inverse Henry Rowan Gardner. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That's, you know, that's one of the other things I love about baseball is there's so much we don't, for as much as we do know, which is a Mm. lot, 
there is so much we don't know. Yeah. Which that's just, it, there's just, it's so, there's so much depth to baseball. That's just, it's wild. Uh, Do you really write for pitcher list? If you haven't spent like far too much time just sitting at your desk with a baseball going like, Oh yeah. (laughs) Spinning it in different directions. Like, and the, orientation is <laughs> yeah if only i could throw over 40 miles an hour dude it's wild um speaking of pitches who's your favorite pitcher to watch favorite pitcher to watch it now really was. and and also past it really was mike clevenger before he got hurt like i just there was something yeah. really exciting about watching him just those kind of like jerky mechanics like like just i i really enjoyed that and i i as I was really starting to learn about pitching was when he was really increasing his velocity and just seeing that kind of masterfulness was, was a lot of fun. I do. I've I'm, I used to be anti um, breaking the rules of the game. I used to be that curmudgeon dude. Uh, and I've since changed my tune. I've learned <laughs> the error of my ways. Um, and now with that gone, I do love dudes like Marcus Stroman and Amir Garrett, like guys who are going to let you know that they struck you out. Yeah. Um, those are for different reasons. And then overall throughout history, um, I think Randy Johnson was the first time I saw someone pitch where I was like, yeah. holy God. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like you're just like a kid watching Randy Johnson pitch and you just like, I think when you're a kid, you don't, I mean, maybe this is just me. I didn't appreciate movement as much. No, you know what I mean? Yep. And, and you don't appreciate precision as much until you get older as well. So when you're a kid, yep. you appreciate raw power, like the Nolan Ryans. And you saw Randy Johnson. And it's funny nowadays, you don't necessarily think of like raw power from a dude with a mullet and a mustache. <laughs> but like you, you saw like, you know, what seemed like seven foot a billion throwing that velocity in this purple uniform as he yeah. took down the New York Yankees. You know what I mean? Like that to me, I was like, whoa holy crap this is amazing it's great is there any historical picture you wish you could have watched live mm. if you had the chance maybe satchel page i was yeah that was yeah. my first thought yeah yeah i mean he just seemed like i'm reading a, a book about effa manley now who i didn't really know much about and also learning oh, and about andrea like, williams's book that's been on, on my on my to get list it's great it's great She's I'm having a blast reading it and I'm like, like breezing through it. I really recommend it. Um, And just reading about him and the barnstorming tours that he did. And that man knew he could pitch. You know what I mean? And I would I would have given anything to just see him just mow down the Yankees or something. You know what I mean? Like just to see him. I mean, even back then, even if I go back in time, I want to see the Yankees lose. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's always I think, a beautiful sight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think him, um, Bob Gibson with those like mechanics would have been fun to watch for sure. Um, and then I guess a little more contemporary. Um, let me think. Well, maybe actually I'm going to go the other direction. Like the first, I think Hoyt Wilhelm was like one of the first to throw like a knuckleball. Yeah. I would have loved to have been at the first. Yes. For Royal. I would have been to love to have been to the first game. He threw a knuckleball to see a man crab his pants. (laughs) He actually, Hort Wilhelm had a long time ago when I was writing for a Baltimore sports blog, I decided to try and figure out which Orioles pitcher had the best season ever okay. in Orioles history. Yeah. And the way I did it was I did, um, you know, uh, what I called at the time relative ERA, but I think since then it's been used many times, which was taking a player's uh, season-ending ERA and subtracting uh, it from the league average ERA okay. to see 
really relatively how good they were. Sure. And by doing that, I found out that Hoyt Wilhelm, the one year he started for the Orioles back in the 60s, had arguably the best season ever by an Orioles pitcher. Wow. Because he was incredible. I mean, he was That's just, amazing. He was ridiculous. He had like a uh, he had like a low two ZRA or something like that. And it was just, That's awesome. He was insane. But I, I yeah, he's he's a great choice. I love him. Um, so outside of Camden Yards, we talked a little bit about the food in Camden Yards. Where's the best place for seafood in Maryland? Oh God, I I know that's really tough. I you know what's funny? I don't even. Oh, I think it's called the Crossroads Crossroads Pub. Maybe it's off of it's in like Backwoods Clarksville, off of. <laughs> route it's not off route 40 i think it's off route 29 and like 216 or something like that it's the place that i grew up going to you know what i mean so it's more symbolic than anything to me and you're probably going to kill me for saying this a crab is a crab is a crab it doesn't matter because you're covering it in old bay to begin with yeah yeah Um, yeah, i got you so uh, to me like and also, like, the crab has never been the thing for me. It's mostly been the experience of the crab That's piece. 100%. You know what I mean? It is a social experience. That's yeah. something I always have to explain to non-Marylanders. You yeah. never – you eat a crab and then you eat lunch. Yeah, exactly. You eat, you eat, like, ten crabs and you're like, all right, now it's time for lunch. Yeah. You spend three hours <laughs> opening ten crabs. Yeah. You get a bunch of cracks in your hands and they get Old Bay in them and it hurts like a crazy. And uh, But you're having a great time doing it. Yep. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's a nice place around the corner of my house called Crossroads that I love. That is awesome. I love that you chose a like a small local place because like mm-hmm. I feel like the gut instinct and and understandably is to say like Jimmy's, Jimmy's, yeah, involved, which Jimmy's is incredible. Yeah, of course, I mean, totally. It's great. Their their crab pretzel, their crabby chicken, which mm-hmm. is a chicken sandwich with crab dip on top. It's like otherworldly. Mm-hmm. But those little hole in the wall. There was a place around me called Annapolis Seafood that. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, they're a now just a place where you buy like raw seafood, but yeah. they used to have a little tiny restaurant in one of their shops and it just had some of the best seafood you'll ever have. I yeah. love those little local places. Yeah. Um, Zach. Actually, the question I was about to ask is, is, yes. is Jimmy's is Jimmy's the joint that has like the uh, like the weirdly aggressive social media. Social account? media. Yes. <laughs> that's like, Jimmy's. That's, that's Jimmy's famous seafood. Yeah. What yeah. is the deal with that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's our biggest but, recruiting power. <laughs> oh my god yeah they'll like offer free crab cakes for life for, life. for like yeah. uh for free Shit, agents to come out sign in baltimore yeah that's good <laughs> that's incredible they're um, amazing what's what's your uh what's your favorite baseball movie oh, um uh i the first thing that always comes to mind is a league of their own it like great choice uh, i am i am such a i i i have a dead heart and that movie makes me cry uh, i truly do not cry at all and the that ending? Movie, oh, oh my god it tears me to pieces i don't know why i remember so when i was re-watching it for the best baseball movies article i did i was just like watching the ending of this and i'm just like this is so heartwarming yeah it's like bittersweet yeah. Oh. it's yeah i think it's that's that that or um ed <laughs> isn't that <laughs> no, that movie's terrible isn't that the one with matthew uh uh leblanc or whatever has a, a chimpanzee oh roommate god. who's a baseball yes. player <laughs> <laughs> no, I think oh it's a league God. of their own. Yeah, league of their own. That's a beautiful one. That's a great choice. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, got a least favorite baseball movie while we're at it? Ed. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> um, least favorite baseball movie. Some people feel more strongly about this than than others. I am someone who feels really strongly about disliking baseball movies, but some people are like 
it's okay. Like I there just is, love ball uh, on the screen. So I've made it. I've made it well known um, that you you hate the Sandlot, right? No, no, no. Okay, you're gonna get me in trouble, man. I <laughs> I don't think the Sandlot is a. I think it's fine. But your shirt says F blank C K <laughs> the Sandlot, dude. Yeah, I know. I know. It I know it does. But I just found this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I had it printed. Uh, the no, no. The the Sandlot I think is a perfectly fine film. I think it gets overhyped because fine. so many people our age see it through nostalgia glasses. Yeah. Because they saw it when they were kids. It is a it is a children's movie. Yeah. And I saw it for the first time when I was 18. And when I saw it, I was like, uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, like the movie has a lot of heart and it's very sweet. I think it's very okay. But then it gets named like like Bleacher Report a couple of years ago did a fan poll like what's the best sports movie of all time and number 1 was The Sandlot. I'm like, okay. Yeah. When we're putting The Sandlot over like Raging Bull, then I'm like, uh, yeah, all right, we need no, to have a insane. talk. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't think to be honest, I don't think I have a least favorite. I I, I don't I, I can't maybe it's just because I can't really recall the ones that I've seen that I didn't like, but like of all the ones that I have seen like, you know, The Sandlot, The Natural, um I think they're all. I don't think I have one that I like despise. The one that I'm very passionate about is Trouble with the Curve. Oh yeah, see, I've never seen it. I've like, I, and that's Absolute because trash. like I didn't want to see it when it came out, and then I knew you hated it, and I know <laughs> I've heard that line so many times um, about the no hitter, Jerry Jurgens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. That I was like, I'm never watching this. Yeah, I've I've ranted about it too many times, uh, but <laughs> no, like this yeah. this is going to be a recurring a recurring. I know movie. every yeah. single yeah, it's going to be the the the. What is your least favorite shot. movie, and why is it Trouble with Her? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is a leading question, but how do you hate Trouble with Her? <laughs> okay, uh, so now I want to ask I want to ask kind of a, a weird question, but it, it is a fun one. Hopefully, we'll see. We'll see. I asked this question to Nick, and he's just like, no. Uh, have you ever seen a ghost? Ever seen a ghost? No, I don't believe seen it. Seen a ghost, or or had something happened to you that was really weird and you couldn't really explain it? No, I'm an extremely practical person. You, you are just over two on this now. That's like two. Dude, two yeah. I, I don't. I don't have. believe in them. I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe Dude, in any of that I, stuff. I asked Nick, and he almost like shamed. He's like. <laughs> <laughs> He's a, well. Nick's from Nick's from Brooklyn too. Like Nick has never. I grew up in the woods, at least. Like Nick has never spent a night outside of Brooklyn. Um, but yeah, so, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's funny. Do you have a favorite joke? I'm like one of those guys that's always like, oh, I hear a great joke, and I'm like, I gotta remember that, and then I never remember the joke. And then you know. Uh, I don't have a favorite joke. It's just me looking in the mirror. That's my favorite joke. Um, no, I don't think I do. And if I did, it probably wouldn't be suitable for a podcast. Fair. That's fair. fair. Very fair. Uh, I'm going to ask you the question that I've asked many people. And I love this question. And there's a correct answer to it. I want you to know. Okay. Um, when you brush your teeth, mm -hmm. you put on toothpaste first or the water? I think people who put on toothpaste first are psychopaths. What? You have, you have to put on water first and then put on the toothpaste. That's That doesn't make any sense to me. You Why would you wet the toothpaste? Okay, question though. Hold on. Do you do okay. water, toothpaste, water? No. I'm not a I'm not a I'm that's not a maniac. Insane. No, you seal the the toothpaste onto first of all. That's like do you pour water on water. The toothpaste is no. already wet. 
No, the toothpaste is like this dry little blob. What it's kind of dry. toothpaste are you buying? That's what I was going to say. It's like a you know, it blob. is. It is though. Like if you put it, if you just if you go straight in without any, it's, like it starts smearing, and it's not right, like right. It's you gelatinous. could flick. You could flick it, and it would go flying. You put some water it on it. It's on that. It's on that toothbrush. It's gelatinous, isn't it? Yeah. Well, until I use like Arm and Hammer though. That's not gelatinous. So maybe it's a personal problem then. Go, man. <laughs> okay all right timing <laughs> perfect it's perfect isn't it so weird all right this is total tangent. it is so strange to me that armand hammer uh-huh. and his entire family have nothing to do with armand hammer brand i don't even know who oh yeah yeah that is a little like weird. it's also hammer. strange that he eats people uh <laughs> no, 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 no. so so that's army hammer but like yeah. Armand Hammer, the who is Army Hammer's like great grandfather, whatever, the old billionaire, has nothing to do with Armand Hammer. Has nothing to do with Armand Hammer, and his That's name bizarre. spells out Arm and Hammer. That's weird. That bothers me so much. That has bothered me for a decade. That do you, Armand Hammer. Do you like Jello? Um, it's okay. Do you need to put water on it before you eat it? No, because I'm not brushing my teeth. I'm not trying to spread the Jello. What kind of toothpaste has the consistency of Jello? Well, I just brush my teeth with Jello, so I don't really. Quite... <laughs> He's got a thing of chocolate Jello. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so uh, I. That's funny. So, I'm just thinking about. I've asked that question. To, I asked that question to Rachel Maddow, and to um, the mayor of Reykjavik. Yeah, and both of them answered correctly by saying toothpaste and water. But yeah, those uh, are the people so... I really want to be when I grow up. <laughs> Let's cut off to the mayor of Reykjavik, Iceland. Yeah, exactly. Was, yeah. Um, when you get dressed, pants or socks first? People do socks before pants. I some people do. I I have heard people describe it as uh, lubrication for the pants. Lubrication? Uh, it's it's wool. Why do your pants need lubrication? Yeah, exactly. I, no, tr- tr- trust me, we're all on the same page here. One hundred percent pants, and then yeah. and then socks. So there are. I have talked to people, and they have put on their socks first, and that's insane. Those are people who do soap before shampoo. Don't want to know them. Oh my god! Yeah, who would do that? Same people who do, you know, toothpaste <laughs> and water. We're, we're, that's like no milk. Milk before cereal is the real is the real <laughs> that's, serial killer distinction. That scares me. That's yeah. that's a psychopath right there. Yeah. <laughs> That doesn't make sense. You you might have to explain this 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 reference to me a little bit. But what is what is the best concert venue not named Meriwether Post Pavilion? Oh, okay, I was gonna say that, it's Meriwether. Yes. Yeah, it's Meriwether. There is no there is no other option. That's right. Man. Um, I imagine it's Red Rocks, but I've never been in Colorado. It looks incredible. It looks amazing, and I would love. That's where I would love to go. Best place I ever saw a concert. Um. Uh, you know what? I'll keep it Maryland specific. The Auto Bar. Remember the oh, Auto Bar? That, yeah, the Auto yes. Bar. The Auto Bar. I used to go to a bunch of hardcore shows there. Yep. When yep. I was, they uh, had some great metal shows. Yes. So the Auto Bar down in Baltimore. That's that's so funny. Yeah. Are they, is that still around? Is that I gone? Doubt it. I doubt it. Yeah. I'd be I'd be surprised. So, keeping in the thread of music, you're a huge David Bowie fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess what is it about Bowie that that connects with you? so much um he is unabashedly himself Mm. he was never afraid to be whatever he wanted to be he was constantly dedicated to his craft and his vision uncompromisingly he was not afraid to fail in that way and he did something that no other musician is ever going to be able to do no one's ever going to be able to have that many 
personas and personalities and then have a 40 or 50 year career and yeah. then go from being an avant-garde pop artist to someone that revered jazz musicians wanted to play with to someone who you know uh, was playing with like Nigel Godrich and like all these great Detroit soul artists, you know, going on MTV talking about how black artists aren't getting enough play. Mm, yeah, you know that's I mean? a great like, clip. Yeah, it's an amazing clip. And I, I, I just think that like he's obviously, you know, he, he just like I, I respect that so much about him. And there are certain songs of his that, you know, I'm a huge Nina Simone fan. And I think his Wild as the Wind is an atrocity um and and an affront to music but and i don't have a problem like even though i have a tattoo of him literally on my body like he's <laughs> gonna have songs that i don't love of his but yeah I, I just think the fact that he could defy genre the way that he did and then also like really dive into the sort of lynchian i'm gonna make it express myself and i'm not gonna see a need to explain myself you know what i mean like and also yeah. just that final chapter of releasing black star and then not telling anyone that he was dying and then passing away and having all these clues in the music about it. And just so like, yeah, it, it just, man. Yeah. He just something about him. And then the music, of course, aside all that, the, the, the music is amazing. Yeah. So speaking of the music, all right, I need to hear favorite Bowie album, mm. your least favorite Bowie song. And give me a underrated Bowie song, a deep cut that you don't think gets enough appreciation. Um, yeah, okay. My my deep cut is "Breaking Glass" off of Low. Uh, it's a really quick song. It's only like two minutes, and um, it's really haunting. It's really haunting to me. He says like, he says, "Baby, uh, I've been breaking glass in your home again. Listen." And this weird Brian Eno synth comes in and it's such a striking chord and progression that it's like, it's such a terrifying thing to say to someone like, baby, I've been breaking glass in your home again. Listen, like that just really freaks me out. Yeah. Um, I love that. My least favorite is, is there is like a whole period in like the mid nineties, you know, there's some good stuff with Trent Reznor, but a lot of it's like, all right. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I really do not like his his Nina Simone's Wild as the Wind cover. I just don't think it's great. Um, and then the album changes. So I don't want to be the jerk who goes with esoteric for esoteric sake. I do love Low. I do love Lodger. But yeah. I fell in love with Ziggy Spice, you know, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Like, I mean, yeah, that would be mine, too. You, you can't you can't not i mean it's just it it blows your mind the first time i heard five years is probably still my favorite david bowie song it's just it's amazing it's a great way to start an album and it's a great song oh my god yeah and the and to the guitar solo and moon age daydream totally just yeah. you have to crank that up so loud uh yeah. yeah that's an incredible album also true or false carlos alomar is one of the most underrated guitarists ever yeah without a doubt yeah without a doubt it's just so a great pairing scary yeah on like scary monsters and super like yes so good uh true or false uh david bowie was not happy with any of the sounds the babies were making for the labyrinth soundtrack so the sound of the baby's voice is david bowie uh i believe it yeah 100 percent true it is true he is the sound of the baby on the labyrinth yes 
Maureen I love Allen. that. So I loved. I love hearing that you're um, <sighs> a bassist too. My mm-hmm. pride and joy over here is a five string jazz bass that I got for my um, my 14th birthday. So on that on that note, I have two two questions for you. Is mm-hmm. um, what is your favorite bass to play? If you have instruments, like do you have a favorite? And uh, who is your favorite bassist anywhere out in the world? Yeah, um, there's a uh, there was a great. I don't have it. Uh, I have a four string, a five string, and a six string, but there's a music band Stingray that was really great when I was a kid that I really loved to play. Anything with 24 frets, I always ins- wanted to play 24 frets, didn't like 22, didn't like 21. So um, how many times did you play the intro to For Whom the Bell Tolls over and over again? Oh, is, I yeah. Like... I mean, to be honest, <laughs> if I was picking up a bass, it was always Flea. Flea was, mm. uh, that was it. Like Flea, the first time I heard Around the World blew my mind. Um, and then that was my introduction to bass. So he's always going to be my favorite. But then from there, some of the other ones I love, Victor Wooten, Les Claypool, obviously Jakob Astorius. Um, uh, Ryan Martin from Mudvayne is, I just think, a, a prodigious. But because he's in a new metal band, people don't really pay attention to him. Um, and then, you know, the Brothers Johnson and all the great stuff that they did with Michael Jackson and their own stuff. Um yeah, there's a lot of like 70s dudes. I really grew to have an appreciation for Pino Palladino. I didn't really like him growing up because I thought he was too simple, but now I kind of appreciate how simple he is. Um, yeah, yeah, I think those are those are my big ones. It's great. I'm here for all I'm of the Jaco Pastorius love, and I'm hoping yes. I'm hoping this isn't the only appearance he makes on this podcast somehow or another. But I would be surprised. But we'll yeah, see. I, I we'll hope see. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm kind of surprised you didn't mention Getty Lee in there. Yeah, you know, I, I I love Getty Lee and I have an appreciation for him, but he wasn't the one that when I was a kid, I was like, I listened to him and I was like, man, this is amazing. But I never sat down and wanted to do yeah. um, Rush. I, it's funny because the, my, I think my introduction to Rush was in the beginning of a Primus song. They play YYZ. And then I was like, oh, this song's pretty badass. Mm. That's, uh, that's yeah, I, I've always loved him, but I, I get that. I do get that. Um Two last quick questions while we're playing Pepper here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have one last segment to get to. Uh, totally unrelated questions, but I just want to ask them because they're fun. Who's your favorite Muppet? Muppet. Um, you know, I didn't really watch the Muppets growing up. But uh, I would say, what's the, uh, what's his name? Monster? Who's that little freak who plays the drums? Animal. Animal, yeah. <laughs> he cracks me up. Uh, I like, yeah, I'll, I'll go with, I'll, I'll go with him. I'll go with him. Or Animal. Cookie Monster because he's just fat like me. <laughs> Those cookies. are great choices. He's the most relatable, um, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> You're also uh, a big Batman fan. Mm, yeah. Yep. Yes. Favorite Batman comic? Like, Ooh. not a single issue, but like, you know, broad story arc. I I will say that the, the new 52's Court of Owls was really impressive yes. because it was like how can you take such an old story and make it like riveting and fun? Yes. Um, and then that whole new 52 series with the end game Joker story and all the stuff that happens with Alfred, I thought was really fantastic. I think if we're going back a little bit further, um, I think the nightfall series where Bane does what Bane does, no spoilers um, is pretty, oh, pretty amazing because it's, it's just like a, um, it, it, that doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Like th- that, that doesn't happen to Batman. And then I yeah. guess, 
all the real stuff where he's like an actual detective, like the long Halloween or whatever. Um, like I like stuff like that. Uh, I, I, yeah. yeah. Long Halloween is so good. Yeah. Yep. Those are, those yeah, are my tops. I think it's fantastic. That's it's, it's interesting. You say nightfall because I do kind of feel like nightfall is a little, it's a good story. It's a little bloated at times. It is huge. I'm looking at the three collections right now and it is huge. <laughs> it's huge. Uh, but yeah, I just love the way it ends. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a big one. All right, we're gonna pivot now to the final segment of okay. the podcast, which we call the full count. The full count. I am gonna ask for a recommendation in each of five categories: three and two. Full count. Get it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Scared. Category it's number one: really books. <laughs> books. Fiction or nonfiction? Doesn't matter. Anything you want. Okay, uh, Butcher's Crossing by John Williams. Oh, interesting choice. I can't say I've ever read it. Yeah, I'm going to have to write that down. I'm not familiar with that. It's great. It's um, a story about how a man, a young man, um, has taken a class, uh, I think it's at Harvard, uh, in uh, the early turn of the century about how, about Walden um, and goes to nature to try and connect with it the way that he does and finds out that nature is actually cruel. <laughs> uh, and he goes to collect Buffalo hides and his story about that. And it, it, if I had a billion dollars, I would make that into a movie right away. I find that the, the mysteriousness and serenity of Walden tends to get lost for most people when they realize that Thoreau had like his mom bringing him meals and stuff like that the whole exactly. time. Exactly. It's also nature isn't like that. You know what right, I mean? Right. Like, if you're out alone in the woods for two weeks, you're not like having a great time. You're fun. fending for your uh, life. It's going to be yeah, fun. Ex <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Food recommendation. Anything. Food recommendation. Anything. There's a place down the corner, down the street called... Hey, uh, this can be... Uh, yeah, I was going to say, this can be a restaurant or a specific food, whatever you want. Yeah, oh, there's a place down the street called like uh, Emily's that has unarguably the best burger I've ever had in my life. Uh, 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 yeah, I'll, I'll say that. Mm, that sounds fantastic. Where is that Emily's? Where? Where? Emily's uh, in downtown Brooklyn, near Prospect Brooklyn. Heights, I think. Yeah. Oh man, I'll be, I'll be keep yeah. that in mind next time in New York. Oh, you'll uh, come up and you'll taste heaven. Oh man, I am very excited. All right, movies and or TV. Um, Cache by Michael Haneke is my favorite film of all time. And uh, it's a little slow, uh, but I have never had an ending stick with me or shake me the way that that ending has. And I, I love his ability to turn his middle finger to an audience. It's pretty cool to me. Cracks me up. Nice. I've never heard of that. I'll have to check it out. Same here. Um, we've just spent a lot of time talking about music, but you can recommend any music. What you got? Oh God. Okay. Let me try and make this quick. Um, <laughs> any music? What do you got? Okay. Oh, just go off the top of my head. Cause who cares? Uh, Asia by know, Staley. It's, Dan. it's like, it's Ooh, okay. <laughs> oh, great. Great album. Okay. I know that question is sort of like describe the universe and give examples. So yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Literally. It was like, we could be here all night. So I'm just going to say Asia by Steely Dan. Cause it's hey, a great album I'm yeah. here for any That's Steely a fantastic, Dan. Fantastic. Fantastic. album. <laughs> yeah. That is dude. Steely Dan and, and, uh, <clears throat> Uh, Donald Fake and the Nightfly. When I first got um, <laughs> some nice, nice headphones, I used the Nightfly to test them out because it's oh, really? such a well mixed album. 
it's yeah it's he's also just a lunatic like he like how is that man a musician i love it he cracks me up cracks me he's yeah he's incredible all right last category is miscellaneous now okay this freaks people out miscellaneous it can be anything from your life it can be an activity a a a thing you own literally what i have found is the first thing that pops in your head is usually the best answer so anything from your life that you would recommend uh traveling by yourself in a foreign country oh wow that's great brilliant elaborate please please. i i could not i there's no detail that is it is boring please tell me yeah when i was a junior in college i went to study abroad in london for six months um and i hated it uh i was with people that i didn't really get along with i was there was a lot of drama it wasn't really for me um so i saved up a bunch of money and i planned a trip all throughout europe by myself um went to brussels went to france went to switzerland went to rome went to germany um all in about a week and a half it took a train all through uh europe and didn't really speak any of the languages and i remember being in like a sleeper car with like four different families all of which that spoke different languages we all had to communicate with one another in different ways um and you just learn a lot about yourself you just learn a lot about yourself it's you're away there's no expectations um now that's you know yeah obviously that's a little bit of a privileged answer i think there are there are other people who might not feel necessarily comfortable traveling by themselves in foreign places um but for for me and in, in my experience i i felt that that was um just a great way to find yourself so yeah i'd say that yeah that's a, that's a great answer, answer. That's really in the cool. miscellaneous I, category <laughs> i like that a lot that's um, why, f- man, the miscellaneous recommendation is always my favorite. It's good. I don't know why it even came to me. That's weird. That's it came to you for a reason, though. Um, yeah. Before we do, I'm yeah. I'm the breadth of your guys' knowledge is big <clears throat> enough that I'm I'm probably gonna feel dumb for asking this, but we know who the the original drummer of Steely Dan was. No, who was the original drummer of Steely Dan? The original drummer of Steely Dan, I know this because they were they were founded at Bard College, my mm-hmm. alma mater, with Chevy Chase as the original drummer. No. Oh, you know what? I knew I that. I did not know Yeah. That. I and apparently he cow. blew them off. And I, and I thought of this just because we were talking about SNL. And he blew them off and he called them like, you know, a B-rate pop band or some crazy stuff like that. That's it was right. I mean, I Chevy Chase notoriously that. easy to get along with. So. Yes, of course. And I was just saying, now he's the most God, hated man yeah, in Hollywood. the worst. Wow, that's amazing. That's a great that's, fact. I did that's not a very know fun that. fact. Yeah, yeah, that is a really that is a really fun little piece of trivia. Yeah, well that's I just found out recently. I I tweeted this. I don't know if you saw it. I just found out recently that uh, Jason Sudeikis' uncle is the guy who played Norm from Cheers. I did not know that. <laughs> did not know which that. Is, yeah, which is a bizarre little fun fact. I just I found that out and I was just like, wait, really? Mm. It's so it's so weird. He is the uh, Sudeikis is the first SNL cast member to have a uh, an uncle or aunt who hosted the show. There was a second one, a guy named Paul Bretan, who was on SNL for like two years, who I love, is Bob Newhart's nephew. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's crazy. These are all great yeah. facts. But anyways, yeah, they're fun little piece of trivia. But anyways, you feel good? Feel good? Yeah. 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 I'm I'm Good. I'm happy you guys had me on and got, it, it was a delight. Yeah, man. Yeah, this was so much fun. Thanks hey, so much. Thank you so much. Of course. For coming on. Yeah.
making our first episode brilliant. Yeah, man. Well, Thanks for back. having me. Yes, this is I couldn't I couldn't have asked for a better inaugural episode of Shag and Flies. So <laughs> thank kind. you so much for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Obviously, I'll talk to you um, all the time. I constantly <laughs> bombard you with messages. So <laughs> never <laughs> we'll enough. Be around. Never All right. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Take it easy. Be safe.